welcome this morning. It's good to have you uh, here. If you're new with us, um, we're so grateful that you have joined us. In fact, we would love a chance just to meet you. Um, if you if you have a moment following the service to swing by our welcome desk, we'd love to answer any questions that you may have about the church or ways to get connected. And, and really just to put a face with the name. So if you have a few minutes after the service, please uh, swing by our welcome desk. Uh, we would love to, to chat with you a bit. I have a small gift to give you as well this morning. A couple of things I want to highlight. Um, one is tickets are now available for the annual Christmas concert. Um, if you have been a part of this, I know it doesn't feel like Christmas at all today. Uh, I like it's going to be like 60 or something, but apparently it's coming quick. Uh, and tickets are now uh, uh, for sale. And the thing I want you to know is over the last several years, these have gone very, very quickly. In fact, the reason that they are for sale and not free is, is because they've gone so quickly that sometimes people will reserve like 20 of them and then only bring two and people that couldn't get them didn't, didn't get to go. And so we are selling them, but all of those funds from the sale will go directly to Serve the World, which that's a giving initiative here at Chapel Street where 100% of those, do, uh, those funds go to ministry partners outside of, of our um, immediate ministry here at the church where the gospel is being made known and evident. So those are available. I encourage you to grab those quickly. They will go fast. Um, also wanted to highlight that we have a child dedication service coming up here in just a couple weeks. Um, there is a class, in-person class today, uh, which probably won't work for most of you, but we have an online one uh, as well coming up. And so if you have a child that you would like to have dedicated, this will be the week after Thanksgiving. It's really one of our, our traditions and kind of milestones here at Chapel Street, and we would love to have you uh, be a part of that as well. So that's coming up here in a few weeks. And then as you might have noticed uh, when you drove in and saw the smoker in our parking lot, we have a connection lunch today. And so I know that you're at the 9 a.m. service, um, but you also got an extra hour of sleep today. So run, do your target run after the service, do whatever you got to do, come back at noon. Um, there's chili and pulled pork, and it's just going to be a great time together. Our connection lunches are really designed to be a time for us to be together as a community, to share story around the table. Um, we believe that as God grows us as a body, that he's going to empower us and send us out and make us more effective in that. And so if you don't have lunch plans, if you don't have something, please come back at, at noon. Um, the food's going to be amazing. As you already know, you smelled some of it uh, on your way in this morning. Um, we're right now in um, our study of James together. And this morning, our worship team in just a moment is going to lead us in a song that is really designed for us uh, to be reflective, to take time to just meditate. They're going to read this morning's passage to us from James chapter 4. And as they do, um, I, I, my ask of you is that you would just allow these words to sink in, uh, to receive them this morning and, and meditate on them, reflect on them. And then in a few moments um, after they uh, are finished, we'll come and, and we'll look at this passage together. One through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You do not ask, and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I think um, James, uh, the letter that we're reading, I think he would, he would heartily agree with the message of, of that song. And if you remember when we started this study together, um, I suggested that at times when we read James together, it, you know, like those friends that just sort of like, they'll tell you whatever you want to ha- hear and you look great and everything's perfect. And then you have a friend who's like, you didn't ask their opinion, but they're going to tell you that like your outfit doesn't match. And it's like, James is like that bl- brutally honest friend. And I, I think in the passage that we heard read today, it's, this is kind of, in James chapter 4 is where I feel this, I think, most acutely. Because, again, it's very pastoral. James's passion is like for the church to live out their mission in, in Jesus. But he's direct and he's pointed and, and, uh, and sometimes it's hard to hear, um, and, but good for us. I, uh, several years ago, uh, was helping a friend. They had one of those um, spots on their ceiling that's like a clear indication that something's leaking somewhere. So we were trying to kind of solve what was the, the problem. And there was a bathroom upstairs and looking and didn't see any signs of like a leak there that we could observe. And, and, and so we kind of got to the point where we realized we're going to have to cut the drywall open in order to figure out what's going on, which is like, you want to avoid that if you can, but it was just no other steps to take. So we cut out a section of the drywall right where the, the water stain was, which again is no promise that that's the problem because water has a, a way of moving. So um, it's like one of those things where you might end up just cutting like the entire ceiling out, but to find the problem. But in this case, as we removed this section of, of drywall, up around one of the pipes that was running through the ceiling, um, somebody had wrapped a bunch of paper towels in there. Um, And we're like, I think I know what the problem is, right? Like somebody's fixed somewhere along the way, 
was uh, instead of fixing the pipe that was itself leaking was to stuff enough paper towels in there in the hopes that it would absorb the water and prevent it from revealing itself on, on the, the ceiling. And um, I, I remember being so annoyed and so angry about that and also sort of like admiring the boldness kind of thing. Like, um, and, I, and I recognize like I certainly cannot claim to have uh, never done that sort of thing before in my life, whether it's a home repair or, or something more personal, right? Where I've, I want to I treat kind of the, the presenting issue without really doing the work of going in and figuring out how do I fix the, the long-term problem, the source of, of the issue. I think oftentimes, if you're anything like me, we approach life in the same way. Right? We put all our efforts, all our energy into dealing with kind of the presenting issue, whatever that looks like. We, we pack a towel around a leak in a pipe, but then we fail to kind of do the, the work of going in and dealing with the source of the problem. And James, as he writes this letter to the early church, he is continually pointing out that, that what we see on the outside, what the presenting issue is, is a reflection of an internal reality. So we, we discover a part of our lives that is out of alignment with the way of Jesus, Right? We, we become aware of that. It's not only the behavior or the attitude or the thought or, or the words that James wants to address, but he constantly brings it back to what's taking place, what's going on in, in our hearts, right? the long-term need. So for example, if you remember all the way back in James chapter 1, when he was addressing um, our response to trials and temptations that we experience in life, he's saying, that, that our, the way we respond to those things is going to differ based on how we understand and think about and of the conviction that we hold about the nature and the character of God in, in our hearts and our ability to be faithful to him in those moments. In, those moments. in chapter 2, he talked about uh, the issue of favoritism, how we treat and value people. How, this call that we have to live to what James calls the royal law, li- loving our neighbor as ourselves, echoing the words of Jesus, how there's no hierarchy or status at, 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 in the body of Christ. Right? The, the ground is level at the foot of, of the cross. And so when we, when we apply that to people, when we start treating people with status and favoritism, right? He's like, that's a need to recognize, to confess that and then surrender that part of our heart that feels compelled to do that. The behavior changes, yes, it must change, but not only the behavior, right? The heart needs to change. If, if all we do is fix the behavior, the, oftentimes the result of that, as soon as James isn't looking, right? As soon as we kind of like leave the moment, we revert back to, to how we were operating. He talks about our, our actions or our deeds or our works, that, that passage that's been so studied and thought about it's difficult right but James goes right at it and his whole point is all of all of that is is meant to provide evidence of the transformation that's taken place in us because we've put our faith in Jesus so he's 
Again, calling us to live out of, to live from what he there calls the law of freedom, or we might uh, say as the truth of, of the gospel. It's all evidence of, of that. And then he gets to not only our actions, but our words as well, that we're, we should be speaking from this spring of fresh water of our faith in Jesus. If you were here last week, you'll remember at the end of the sermon, I gave us a challenge, a bit of an exercise where you're going to take eight hours of, of a single day. And the goal was in that eight hours not to say, not to let anything come out of your mouth that was any way self-promoting or self-advancing or in any way diminishing, demeaning, or belittling of, of another image bearer. Um, how'd that go? how we do? Yeah. You know, that's hard. Because what, what happens when we do that is we capture those words, and then we have an opportunity to look and say, Why are, what? What in me felt compelled to, to say that? Is that actually an opportunity to reveal, to confess, and again, surrender? So James, throughout this letter, he continues to address these concerns, these things he sing in the life of the church. And when he sees them, he points them out, and he wants to bring it back to the source, back to the need, which is a transforming faith in Jesus Christ. Last week, as we were wrapping up James chapter 3, you'll remember that James describes and really contrasts kind of two different um, sources or two different operating systems. What James refers to as two types of wisdom, which is a, a central theme throughout this entire letter that he writes to the church. He talks about what we call false wisdom or the wisdom of this world, how we naturally and by default operate apart from a faith in Jesus. This is kind of, this is the way things are, so to speak. And then James, in contrast to that, talks about a, a wisdom uh, that is true, a godly wisdom, what James describes as wisdom from above. So this passage is really a, a bit of a linchpin, a transition between what James just talked about with, with what comes out of our mouth, the words that we say, and then what we just heard a few moments ago from James chapter 4. Because the false wisdom that he wants to expose, that he wants to reveal, that's a wisdom that's really all about me. That, that's a wisdom that is advancing the kingdom of sterling. It's about my glory. And when I'm operating out of that wisdom, it says it produces disorder and it produces every uh, evil practice, James writes. And we, we contrast that to what James described as the wisdom from above. Right? The wisdom that is pure at the very end of James chapter 3, it's peace-loving, it's gentle, it's compliant, it's full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. True wisdom, James writes, true wisdom, when we're operating in that, it grows the character of Jesus in us. And this brings us to, to James chapter 4. And James, once again, now is going to, he's going to speak directly into and confront another issue that is unfolding in the church. An issue that is a result of, of those within the church who are operating from this place of false wisdom. And when they operate from this, this way of the world, it's creating all kinds of conflict and issues among the body. And, but James, as he always does, he doesn't just confront the issue. He shows a response, and it's a response that is restorative, and it is a response that is, is 
found um, it's, it's based in the overwhelming goodness of God's grace. If you noticed in the passage that we heard this morning, there is a trajectory that James takes in those 12 verses. If you notice, he starts with kind of, again, like he often does, the external issue. There's conflict here that is based on, it's sourced in our, uh, you and I operating in this false wisdom. But then James takes it from the external and he brings it internal and he deals with what that's, how that affects our relationship with God. And then in the internal, not only does he source the issue, but then he gives us a response to that, a, a point of confession, even grieving, he says. And then in verse 11 and 12, he takes it back out to, okay, how do we talk about each other? How do we live this out in a way that is is helpful and beneficial. And so let's begin in, in James 4, if you have your Bibles, we want to start on the point of looking at what he says about conflict with others. Conflict with others. This is James 4, in these first three verses or so. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? <coughs> Excuse me. You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Just real quickly, like uh, I think what James is doing here is he's applying the, the ethic of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, if I have animosity, if I have hate for my brother, the, the heart condition is the same as, as murder. So I don't know that James is like, man, this church is murdering each other. I, I think he's really, again, like, Maybe they are, I don't, but I think he's applying that ethic of Jesus here. So you murder, you covet, you cannot attain, you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. I have like my annual um, cough thing that I seem to get now. Um, my... Uh, my dad's mom my my uh, paternal grandmother grandma moore grew up in uh, eastern part of kentucky so this is like turn of the 20th century and that part of the country was famous for you probably are aware of it because it was the scene of the um feud between the hatfields and the mccoys like this is all that border of of kentucky and west virginia um and and my grandparents used to I, they were familiar with, they weren't, this was kind of, my grandparents came after this, um, but they were all, if you lived in that era, you were, you knew the story of the feud, you probably knew people that were involved in it. it historians say that in the course of that feud, um, some 12 to 18 immediately, uh, immediate family members of the Hatfields and the McCoys, in fact, I have a, that's a picture of the Hatfields from like 1897. Um, so they kind of look like a group of people you don't want to mess with. I will say that. Um, but they, over about 12 to 18 immediate family members died as a result of this feud, were killed by one member of the family or another. Close to 50 family associates over the course of, actually I think it was 60 over the course of 50 years, were killed as some sort of immediate response to to this feud. And this story of the Hatfields and McCoys, years ago, the History Channel did kind of a docu-series on this. It was, it was really pretty good. 
Um, but this kind of lives, this legacy lives as sort of this folklore of the consequences of unresolved grudges and stubborn vendettas. Right? It, it remains this picture of, of the havoc that can result. And what's crazy about the whole thing is that the source, what's believed to be kind of the, the, um, the beginning of the feud was a dispute over a pig and whether or not it was stolen by the Hatfields or whether or not it had wandered off of the McCoy's property and, and walked over to the Hatfields. 60 people dead over a pig that walked away or was stolen. And here's the thing, we can look at this and say, that's crazy, right? That's, there's no way that should, should ever take place. But if, you, if we operate solely out of the wisdom of this world, at its base level, that makes sense. Look again at what James says. What is the source of wars and fights among you? I like how the CSB translates verse 1 because those Greek words there, they really are military words. It's not like a disagreement or an argument. He's, he's saying we were waging war with each other. And where does that come from? And he answers his own question. He says, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So James goes, he drives directly at the immediate source. It's the result of our, our passions and desires when we're operating out of that kind of wisdom, right? Because it's all about me. When I live from, from those desires, I will fight and scratch and claw to advance my comforts and my pleasure. Because the world tells us that's all there is. That, that's, that is essentially purpose in life. And that will create all kinds of really ugly things in us. We, we will take delight in someone else's failure or pain. We'll manipulate, uh, we'll manipulate someone to promote ourselves. We'll diminish someone or, 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 or um, belittle someone in order to create more for ourselves because we're operating out of this, this endless quest, this endless appetite like James talks about. And it's never satisfied. So we can look, and again, James has been addressing this, we can look at somebody who is lacking the basic needs for survival in life and say, well, I hope everything works out okay for them, I, 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 but I really... I need to go get this other thing. I need to advance myself. And then James is saying like this, to put it succinctly, relationships, relationships that ought to be defined by, characterized by our unity and shared love because of our faith in Jesus, it spirals into conflict because I'm worshiping at the throne of me. Because I've, I've placed me at the center of, of life and meaning and purpose. James even goes on in verse 3 to say when we pray, right, we're, we're asking God essentially to build my kingdom. Make it about me. And, and James is saying, like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised when God doesn't answer that prayer. And I think what grieves James so deeply is that this is happening in the church. This is taking place in a covenant community where unity and love for each other are, are meant to be this sort of lived out witness, this testimony that we are supposed to be a community that is uniquely different so that a watching world sees 
and understands the transformation that Jesus has and desires it. It's supposed to be this thing that draws people in, but they're looking at the community and say, that doesn't look anything different than what's happening in the world. And this grieves James. And he confronts it. James isn't suggesting, he's not saying that there's no such thing as legitimate conflict. Of course there are. We, there's times when we disagree. Other parts of Scripture teach us how to do that well. But rather, he says, look at the conflict that is the result of self-centered desires. Trace it to its source. And, and what you'll discover, James writes, is that somewhere along the way, you have bought into, you've adopted this, this false wisdom. This false wisdom, the way of the world. Just real quickly here, a, a point of application. Let me ask you the question, where, where are you, where am I experiencing relational conflict right now? And we'll get into to what we do with that in, in just a moment, but for now, let's just ask the ourselves the question what what in me is contributing to that conflict what is it in me that is contributing that where am i operating out of a false wisdom and to this point james says that that's not only going to have impact on our our horizontal relationships but that is going to impact our relationship with god and this is where it progresses to so it starts with conflict with others but then it advances into a a conflict with with god a conflict with god i, I will uh i can self-admit that my sort of default position when it relates to conflict particularly like conflict that's happening around me right is that i can try to play the the switzerland card like i well i've been in situations before where it's like people are kind of like presenting their cases and you want you to take a side and 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 i get uncomfortable with that i start to squirm in that like I, I want everybody to 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 get along but when james starts to describe this and then he takes it internal into our relationship with god the way he kind of positions this is, is you can't have like a foot in both worlds like this is not sort of one of the i see it from both sides kind of things look at verse four and five again Again, James's language is so direct. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And again, he's not talking about um, loving our neighbors. Obviously, that's been, he's talking about friendship with the world means I've adopted the world's way of doing things. And he's saying that's hostility towards God. So um, where am I at? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason <coughs> that scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? So the, James draws the line right here. So this, this devastating relational conflict with the people all around us, right? What, what James says is a result of us adopting a, a false wisdom of this world Right? He wants to be very clear on the impact of this. He says, friendship with the world, worldly wisdom, is hostility towards God. There is no middle ground that James leaves us here. And what, to make his point, James uses this, he's, he draws a lot of language from the Old Testament here. 
he uses this covenant language. He says, you adulterous people, or in other words, you promise breakers, right? You, you've been the recipients of God's covenant love. You have experienced his faithfulness. You've received forgiveness. And now, after all of that, he's saying, like, you're going to walk out on him? You're, you're going to revert back to operating according to the system of this world, to what James in chapter 3 described as earthly and unspiritual and even demonic. It's like that's, that's the wisdom that you're going to allow to govern your life. James suggests that this is a conscious choice. The word friend in, in that culture, like we live in like a Facebook friend world, but the word friend when, when James wrote this um, was far more than just an acquaintance. Right, a, a friend was the person that you aligned yourself with, so the, uh, your allies. So James is saying, if you're going to align yourself with the wisdom of this world, if you're going to adopt its value system, if you're going to allow that to be the source of authority that you live out of, then I am placing myself as an enemy of, of God. Again, like, I understand, like, this is, this is, James is so intense, Right? But again, his passion is driven by a pastoral heart. He's saying you have open hostility towards him. And look at verse 5 again. Or do you think it's without reason that Scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? In other words, he's saying, in your, do you expect God to be okay with that? Is that your expectation here? He's not going to be. And the envy that he addresses here, this is the... the, the, the um, the byproduct of his love for us, right? In the, in the same way, if, if I observed something or someone who threatened to steal away Sherry's affections from me, right, I'm going to fight that off with everything in, in my being because I'm not okay sharing those affections because of my love for her, right? I, I, it's not something I'm just going to let happen this is when, when we hear god described as one who's jealous or envious right we 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 think of those qualities in the in the negative and rightly so those those things are spoken of in scripture in the negative but what when it's described of god it's described as his uh overwhelming passion and love for you that he is unwilling to share because it's bad for you Right? Because it's, because it's, it's what, when we adopt something less than that, we're, we're taking on a trajectory or a path that ultimately is for our destruction. And this is where James leaves us. This is where he says it. And then we see, the third thing we see is God's response to us. So it starts with conflict with others, conflict with God. But look at verse 6. This is God's response. But he gives greater grace. Amen. I have a friend who once told me that the, anytime you see in Scripture the words, but God, but in this case it's but he, right, pay attention. Because usually what that means is something bad is happening on the one side and God's about to do something awesome. Right? It, it kind of describes like this hopeless sort of like, well, what do we do now kind of thing. And then it's like, look what God's going to do. And his answer to all of this his response is that he gives greater grace. Think for a moment about how you typically kind of 
respond to somebody who would position themselves in open hostility towards you? I, I would say most likely my, in my humanness, my response to that is going to be rejection would kind of be on the positive side and, and retribution or revenge on the more likely side. But God, in response to that, his response is more grace. Grace that changes us from the opposition of pride to the acceptance of the humble. Right? He takes us back to where it started. It's this response of grace in, um, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, when he's trying to describe the nature and character of God, how we relate to him, he tells a story of a father who had two sons. And he said the younger of the sons, he asked him for his inheritance uh, before his dad had passed away. It was just basically like, I wish you were dead, dad. And he goes off and he just squanders it. And there's this incredible image at the end of, of that story, or really right in the middle of it, where you see the, the father standing out there kind of surveying the landscape, and he sees his son in the distance. And instead of having this response that says, well, we'll see what kind of argument you make or how, how um, regretful you are, whatever, you don't see that. You see the father like lift up his, his um, what is that, tunic? Yeah. And, and run, like, to his son, chase after him, go and pursue him. And Jesus makes this point, this is who your father is. This is the way he sees you. This is the way he operates. This is who he is for you. He gives greater grace. Over my years as a, as a pastor, I've had numerous conversations with people who've at least been questioning God's capacity to love them in view of whatever mistake or whatever part of their life that was sort of characterized by rebellion to God and just almost finding it difficult to believe that God could could love them given everything that they've done in his life and to that I just say he gives greater grace that's who he is when I've positioned myself as an enemy by choosing to live with the God of me at the center of my life, to that, he offers greater grace. I thank you, Jesus. Like, that is his solution. And so then James ends this with then our response to God. Our response to God. Look at this real quickly. Uh, verses 7 through 10. <coughs> Therefore, because of greater grace... Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Because of his greater grace, submit to God. In other words, James is saying, return to his wisdom, right? What we've defined as living in God's way and, and, and living God's way in God's world. And James highlights there's really two kind of elements to this, two key components. He's first, there is this uh, rejection of, of the way of this world. He says, resist the devil, right? Reject the lie, reject the false wisdom that all we have to live for is whatever, whatever sort of self-advancing, um, self-serving uh, pleasure that we can squeeze out of this specific moment. He's saying reject that, that lie. 
because it isn't true. Cleanse your hands and purify your heart. Again, he's, he's drawing on temple language from the Old Testament. It's this image of confession and repentance. There's this grief that we experience, this mourning, he says, when we're aware of our sin, that's okay, that's good. It brings us into a place of repentance, expose the sin for what it is, and then let that sin be covered by a greater grace. And then he says, draw near. So there's a rejection and there's a receiving. The idea of submission, of drawing near, of humbling yourself. Right? That's, that's the active, again, conscious choice that we make to submit ourselves once again to his rule and lay, uh, reign. We live in the wisdom that we talk about here at Chapel Street that was taught by, embodied in, the, in Jesus. We live according to the way of Jesus. And this is the invitation that is extended by, by a greater grace to bring us back under his authority, his rule. We want to live according to that. And when I'm doing that, then I'll lay down, I'll surrender the throne of Sterling for his throne, a better throne. And that will position me not in conflict with you, not in competition with you, right, for the advancement of self, but rather in partnership with you as we together pursue Jesus and his kingdom. And that's really, we're not going to get into it this morning, but verse 11 and 12, then he he reverts back to talking about how this gets lived out in community. And so this morning, we, speaking of a greater grace, we get to end our time together this morning by coming to the Lord's table. And when we do this, this is what we are reminded of. We're reminded of the display of his grace given to us um, through his death and, and ultimately through his resurrection. If you're new with us this morning, um, just a reminder that you don't have to be a, a member of Chapel Street. Um, in fact, this can be your very first time here with us. If you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you're welcome to come to the table. I'll, I'll pray over us in just a minute, um, and I'll ask when you're ready. The worship team will be... Um, <coughs> not coughing on this, I promise. It's a... Um, the worship team will lead us. You can go to the center aisle as you're ready and come to the table and the elements will be there. Um, and you can receive the bread, which Jesus handed to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. And you can take the cup and you can take them back to your seat. And when you're ready, you can, you can receive those um, on your own in your own heart. Um, Troy is available. If you don't want to go to uh, the table, if you're unable or uncomfortable with that, Troy has the elements here available to us um, as well. Um, if, you're, if you're still exploring who Jesus is, what it means to have faith in him, um, that is absolutely okay. I pray that, that you don't feel um, any kind of need to come, come to the table. Allow this to be a picture of, of what we have come to believe about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. A display of, of a greater grace. Let's pray and we'll, um, I'll set out the elements and we'll come to the table together. Father, we do just thank you um, again for your word, for your kingdom, and Lord, for James's passion to see us live in the way of Jesus. And so God, I will be the first to confess there are so many times and so many ways that I have operated out of the wisdom of this world. 
And I've certainly seen firsthand the way that that has pr uh, produced animosity with other people. And Jesus, to that you say, I have a greater grace. And so God, I pray that your greater grace would continue to transform us as a community and that we might live in that understanding of what you've done for us and operate out of the rule and reign with you as our king. So Jesus, meet us again at your table that we might experience and know a greater grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. But God gives a, a greater grace. Amen? Uh, real quickly, before I offer this morning's benediction, I want to remind everybody that right now we are uh, placing an emphasis in our church body on um, being sent, mobilized as as the body. So each week throughout November, we're calling it cleverly neighboring November. We're talking about different ways to connect with our neighbors. So last week we gave you a little packet of s'more stuff. And really that was meant to just be a reminder of opportunities to gather with your neighbors, whatever that might look like, whether it's s'mores or um, having somebody over for dinner or hanging out in the back, whatever it was like that. The, the image of that was meant to be a reminder. This week, our focus is on opportunities to serve. And we have a couple things that I want to give you. And again, understand this is, I understand this is not about the practical use of this thing. It's meant to be something that is going to sit on your kitchen counter or in your garage or wherever and remind you that there's opportunities to serve your neighbor. And so I want to give everybody a yard bag. Um, again, like unless your neighbor has a very small yard, this is uh, uh, not going to be super practical. Um, but it is meant to be a reminder. So there's opportunities when we talk about serving to serve our neighbor, but then there's also opportunities that we've seen God make huge inroads in when it comes to serving with our neighbor. And so we also have these sheets that have door hangers. And what this is, is this is an opportunity within your neighborhood to create a, a food drive um, during the holiday season for Shepherd's Heart Food Pantry to partner with your neighbors to say, hey, let's see what we can generate. There's a lot of people who are, are coming with, with very real needs. And um, that only gets amped up in, in, uh, around Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so this is a great way to, to rally your neighbors together. And you'll see the directions on here. You can either do it as like a, a porch pickup or they can drop it off at your house. But serving with your neighbors is is a great opportunity and then this is just the idea sheet we're giving one of these out every week it's a way of just thinking about how god might use us in our community and neighbor and so um whether or not you're going to use these things or not uh take them with you because i really we, we have been praying over this and we really believe um that god's going to use this to inspire and mobilize us i think you're going to see this on your kitchen counter and that day god's going to give you an opportunity to serve your neighbor. Um, and so please grab these. If you don't have lunch plans, would you please come back at noon? I'd love to, to eat a pulled pork sandwich with you. We're going to turn the Bears game on, so hopefully we won't get sick to our stomachs from that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Would you stand with me? Uh, if we can pray with you this morning, it's a privilege to do that. Our prayer team's available. Our generosity boxes are uh, by our side doors. Again, just your partnership in this gospel work matters so much, and we are so thankful for you and all the ways that you give. Um, and now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ.
whose blood shed on the cross, whose body given for us, is a greater grace that draws us back to him to submit to his rule and reign as our king. Would we go with your kingdom in mind, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. One, two, three, four, five, six. Thank you.